This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Oh, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, what are you doing for Christmas this year? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know. You know, this, this, this has been so interesting for me as, as pastor. As I've been visiting people over these two weeks, the questions have been very interesting. I mean, you know, and we have, we have people on both sides of the scale. I mean, we have people like me who are in total shock. I mean, well, not total shock. I, you know, Pastor Tom and Bonnie have been talking about this for like three years. Uh, but, you know, the shock of it coming out, the detail of their study came out over these two weeks. And, and the shock is, uh, you have people saying, so what are we going to do? You know, you know, what are we to do? You know, and then, you know, on the other end, uh, there's a joyous crowd. Oh, my gosh. Oh, pastor, just lifted a burden off me. Oh, my gosh. Oh, the presence, the party, the oh, praise the Lord. for. I just love pastor. So we've, we've got people on that end of the scale. And, and that's not what it's about, really. Uh, all Pastor Tom and Bonnie were doing was holding out the truth as they should. And what we are supposed to do is to search this out in Scripture, like the Bereans, and know the truth and own it for ourselves. Some of this is transitional. You know, I wouldn't go to your kids and say, no more Christmas, because Pastor Tom and Bonnie said so. <laughs> Uh, it may be, hey, instructing them and having them understand, you know, what the Bible says and why we're not doing it and breaking the word down of what we heard into tad sides bits that they can understand. And this is not getting you off the hook for getting presents. The Bible says it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Amen. And it's, it's, it doesn't say you give once a year. Especially to those you love. That's our lifestyle. We're supposed to be giving anyway. We just give for the right reasons now. Amen. We don't have a pagan event that motivates us to give. We give because we love. Amen. So uh, just getting those things, and I know there are a couple of people that may be disappointed in that. You still have a choice. I'm just holding out the truth like that. You know, I know some people have said, oh, X. And, you know, the December babies uh, were celebrating and saying, and that's why we did it close to next week. Because the December babies really, you know, they get everything in one, all in one, four in one. Birthday, Christmas, New Year's, packaged in one. There you go. So this year you may be celebrated. And all the December babies said? Anyway, I want to show you something very quickly. So if you could put, put that up. No, that's not it. That's the one. So, sir, where are you in the Bible? And that may be a good opening line to start speaking to your children. But, you know, just reflecting on, 
on what Pastor Tom ministered over these two weeks, um, I began to think of some of the things that I do out of habit without question because they're culture and that's what we do. And then yesterday in the daily Bible reading in Matthew 15, here's what the Bible says. It says, then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of our elders? For they do not wash their hands when they, excuse me, when they eat bread. And he answered them saying, why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded saying, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses his father and, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandments of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about the saying, these people draw near to me with their mouths and, on, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Interesting piece of scripture. And, you know, traditions and cultures, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that seemed plausible that you would not honor your father and mother and say, hey, what I have for you, I'm going to give to the Lord. I love the Lord. Don't you just love that you raised a child that loves the Lord? That sounds biblical, doesn't it? Sounds very good, doesn't it? But it's not scriptural. Santa sounded good. Christmas sounded good. The joy and the festivities sounded good. But is it scriptural? The measurement of everything we do has got to come back to the word. You see, Jesus came to reveal the heart of the law. The Pharisees and the uh, elders were looking at the letter of the law. And in it formed cultures and traditions that became burdensome on people. But Jesus came to reveal the Father. He came to reveal the heart of the one who instituted statutes that we should live by. You see... We often confuse Jesus challenging the culture of man with him challenging the law. We often think that Jesus, in statements like these, challenged or did away with the law. And yet that's not true. What Jesus challenged was what man had made tradition, was what man had made culture, which was not scriptural. What man had skewed for their own benefit and termed it scripture and termed it biblical and termed it the law. That's what Jesus challenged. 
You see, culture, by its definition, is the accepted norms or practices and beliefs which a certain group or society uphold. Culture is developed, but also changes over time. As one is brought up in a culture, the norms of that culture become ingrained in them. They shape the way they think, the way they do things, and these form traditions. These traditions can be strongholds. I want to show you a picture. Can you see that picture? Now, there's someone on the right here that's parked properly within the guidelines. And then the person in the middle uh, parked their own way. For stepping over the guidelines, the guidelines for your parking. And uh, look at what the next person does. They in turn park over the guidelines. And the form of parking begins to change. That person is just following what the next person did because it's there. They may have understanding that that is wrong, but because it's convenient and that's the way the one's parked. When the parking guys come and clamp, you can't come and say, it's because that person over there parked wrong. You are going to pay a fine. Culture is the same way. You can't say because when you stand before your maker and our maker, you can't say it's because my dad did it and my grandfather did it and this is the traditions of our elders. Um, that's, that's because uh, I'm telling you there'll be a fine. It won't be in US dollars or bond notes. It'll be a lot hotter. Some of the traditions we have are interesting. And the responses we say to cultures and traditions, it says that's the way we do things. That's the tradition of our elders. That is so common in our own culture. An interesting one is funerals. My dad died years ago. And uh, I'd been to one or two funerals, but that was when funerals hit home for me. And... Uh, uh, in that, because, you know, between my mom and my dad, I'm the oldest, I cannot even begin to tell you how many times I heard, which means that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, now, the, oh my gosh, I heard that so many times. But the interesting thing was the gathering. The gathering was very interesting for us. Now, at our house, we, at the gate, that's when buses used to, we didn't just catch combis, there were buses, at that, you know, back then. And you could see the bus stop from the gate. But the people at the bus stop, because of the angle, could not see you at the gate. So, uh, my cousins and myself and my brother stood at the gate and were watching people jump off the bus who were coming to the funeral. And I remember distinctly, this one lady got off the bus. 
I was a bit confused because I thought, maybe she's coming to the funeral because she had a bag. But man, she was just so jovial. I mean, she was greeting everyone when she came off the bus. I mean, she was talking, you know, to the person and she was, and you know, someone seemed to be directing her. And then she walked to the person. And then when you hit a certain corner, you can begin to see the house. So we have this unfair advantage of uh, watching her come joyfully, bouncing along with a bag. And then uh, she hit the corner and she could see the house and the little red cloth saying that's where the funeral is. She forgot her friends who she had just made. And uh, her step picked up. And then the countdown began. 100 meters. 50 meters. 20 meters. 10 meters. Dad's name was Elliot. And she went, I mean, she was screaming. I think there were four of us at the gate. Now, maybe it's because my cousin looked like me. I don't think so. Maybe it's because, you know, her sight wasn't good. I wouldn't know. I'm not a judge. But she went and said Tazarurwa to my cousin. <laughs> and she declared, Wawe guy, you're now alone, your dad is gone. And my cousin said, No, Tazarurwa is this one. Sorry to say, snot and you know, please. It was not. It was not nice. Needless to say, I didn't know this woman. Had not met her or seen her in my life. She didn't know me. She just knew of my name and my dad's name. My dad had been sick for three years. I didn't see her not one day. We didn't get a cent from her to say, "Hey, here's some help." With the medical bills. But boy, was she there to eat the food over four days. <laughs> boy, was she there in every ceremonial meeting that took place that had to do with the distribution and inheritance thereafter. And when they introduced her to me, they told me she was so and so and connected this way. What, what, what nonsense. She cried the loudest at the funeral, made the most noise, but she was the emptiest drum in terms of relationship to us. But we fed her for four days, five. Then she stayed over another week. <laughs> we gave her a bed. Sorry to say, that was my sister's bed, who was mourning at the time the death of her father, who she actually knew. 
that woman ate breakfast, lunch, dinner, and in-betweens. <laughs> and if my cousins are in here, I don't mind you telling her. That's the way I feel. But we say it's our tradition. It's our culture. And we won't move from it. Where is it biblical? Where? Have you have we ever considered that that those kind of gatherings are places of heightened spiritual activity where the whole clan is gathered? That's when I first heard about a dead body being sumat. What? Where is that biblical? You've gone quiet because you know. And it's a culture, a tradition, a stronghold. So, it is in those settings that all sorts of spiritual activities and doors into the spiritual realm are opened that take forever to close. And yet it's our tradition. And the heart of it may have been good. It may have been as the Pharisee says, oh, you know, we're there to comfort one another. You know, it's biblical that we comfort those who mourn. We mourn with those who mourn and we moan loudly. That's what the Bible says. That may all be true. But Jesus did not come to reveal the letter of the law. He came to reveal the heart. You see, we make the mistake of trying to understand the word of God in the context of our culture and traditions instead of trying to understand our culture and traditions in the context of the word. The word is our standard. The word came before culture and tradition. The word is a basis by which culture and tradition is formed. The Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the word, not culture and tradition. So my disposition must be, I must be willing to walk away from culture and tradition when the word, it counters the word because the word was there before culture and tradition. And the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Turn to your neighbor say, all things. Without him, nothing which was made has been made. When we exalt tradition over the world, word, interpret the word in the context of culture, we make void the word of God in our lives. So that voice activation Brother Moulton was speaking about becomes void. Culture and tradition change When my dad died, I heard all sorts of things. Ah, Shivanu Chedu. Gatimiri is so and so who's away. Let's wait for so and so. There's an elder, and this is a, a, a respectable man in society. 
you know, there's an extended period of mourning. So we hosted people for five plus days before we buried, buried my dad. Then we hosted them while everyone is coming to Batamoko, hold hands, you know, as we say. <laughs> Probably for another two to three months because my dad was such an elder. But uh, that culture, that standard, which seemed immovable at the time, changed when the economy changed. Now we're in a hurry to bury them. Oh, so and so is away. Ah, 300, 400 people gathered. Four, five days, forget it. They died today. Two days later, they're in. It's going to keep coming this way. Because we're selfish in nature. And that's how culture and tradition is. If it's not founded on the word of God, it will change by our preferences and choices and feelings and circumstances. But the Bible says God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's a standard that you and I can be based on that is consistent, which is our God. He's not man that he should lie. Know the son of man that he should change his mind. So the question is, as Pastor Tom asked, how does God see this? We cannot answer that question without knowing him. We cannot answer that question without knowing his word. Psalms 119 verse 9 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? It's by taking heed according to the word. With my whole heart, David declared, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. We keep our way pure by heeding the word of God. You know, before the whole teaching on Christmas and the traditions of man, Pastor Tom taught us on Shin. And yeah, I did, I did go to the scriptures and look. And if you go to Psalms 119 from verses 161, I think it's to 168, if you could put that up. The, the, in the, if you go on the, on the electronic Bible, the heading for that section is sin and shin. That's the heading for that section. Now listen to what that section says. Listen to this. It says, rulers persecute me without cause. But my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and detest falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I'll praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Turn to your neighbor say, nothing can make them stumble. Say, turn to your other neighbor. Say, neighbor, great peace have those who love God's law. He says, I'll wait on your salvation, Lord. I'll follow your commands. I'll obey your statutes. I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes. For all my ways are known to you. Sin and shin. 
David talks about his love for the word, his love for the law, his love for God. Pastor Tom said, the two go hand in hand because you can fall on either side. Shin means the destroyer of the author of chaos. That's what Shin means right there. The other side of that is sin. You take the H out of Shin and you've got sin. You take him out and you have sin. That's the same H that was put in the name of Abraham and Sarah. That moved them from being pagans, Chaldeans, with pagan practices, pagan traditions, and moved them into a people of covenant before God, a holy nation of priests and kings set apart for God, a new nation called Israel. It was on that basis of God putting his name on Abraham's name that Abraham became a new man. It was on the basis of him upholding and keeping the him in his way of living, in his covenant with God, that Abraham took on a new tradition, took on a new culture, and that was the God culture. That make you and I today partakers of that covenant of grace, partakers of that covenant of faith. Sin, when you take Yahweh out, you have chaos. When you take the word out, you have chaos. Now, in that piece of scripture, every time you see the word law or statutes, the Hebrew word for that is Torah. That. And Torah literally means instruction, guidelines, laws, statutes, commandments. And we have began to teach ourselves some crazy doctrine that Torah is only for the Jews. And we now live under grace. Yes, it's true. But grace incorporates the Torah. Because that's where our instruction comes from. You see, it is the same as a child. The guidelines, the instructions that a child is given in the home are not to limit them, but are to an evidence of a parent's love for the child. Are guidelines for the child from the perspective of knowledge that I have as a parent of the dangers a child can put themselves in by what they expose themselves to when they don't have the knowledge about what they're exposing themselves to. So when I give a guideline to my son one day and say, don't play at three years old, don't play in the stove, at the stove, because he always wanted to touch the stove. Hot as it was, the mom told me. Hot as it was, he always wanted to jump on the stove, play on the stove, and, and he used to get spanked three times a day. 
Not because she hated him, but because she loved him. Because she knew there was a danger in him putting his little hand on that stove. When it was hot, you'd get burnt. So she gave him Torah, instruction, guidelines. So he could get to grow out of this and have knowledge that a hot plate is not for you to play on or to put your hand on, but a hot plate is for you to cook on. So now Wandai is 11 years old and he's the best cook at home. But to get to his love of cooking and dining for us, Pastor Danny has had one of his dinners. He needed guidelines, boundaries of love, instruction, commandments to make proper use of the hot plate to unleash the gift of cooking in him. Without those guidelines, the mom could have said, hey, grace is available. You are free to do what you want. He probably would have burnt that hand that is cooking so well for us today. A failure to stick within the guidelines, observe the law, run with the Torah, run with God's command, run with the boundaries. God sabotages our own destiny. So back then, the Israelites had the Torah as a book of instruction. The Torah is basically the first five books of the Bible that Moses gave the children of Israel when they were coming out of bondage and going into the promised land. They were God's guidelines. Not to ensure, not to limit or stop the children of Israel to getting into the promised land, but to ensure that the children of Israel did make it into the promised land. The Torah, the, God's law, God's instruction was evidence of his love for them. It gave them a moral conduct of living. But more importantly, we look at culture from a negative perspective. But the law and God's guidelines, God's boundaries was given to re-engineer a bad cultural mindset. They're the slavery culture. God gave them the word to deal with the slavery culture, to have them understand who they were. They're the culture that was Egyptian. They constantly wanted to go back to Egypt. God gave them the word to engineer, re-engineer, reorientate, reprogram them so they would know that they were sons of the Most High. It was to do away with the old cultural practice that saw themselves as grasshoppers when God saw them as giant killers. So Jesus himself says this. He says, He's the fulfillment of the law of the, and the prophets. Matthew 5 verse 17, he says this. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and prophets. I've come, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, 
I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus himself says he's the fulfillment of instruction, fulfillment of God's love, fulfillment of God's commandments. Has heaven and earth disappeared? No. Neither should our love for God's ordinances, God's law, God's word disappear. We are not made righteous. Don't get me wrong. We are not made righteous by observing the law. The Bible is very clear on that. We are not saved by observing the law. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's period. Full stop. Faith is the foundation of our relationship with God. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, And without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith was there in the beginning before the law was. In the Garden of Eden, God gave uh, uh, Abraham and uh, Adam and Eve instruction and they believed him. And that was the basis of their relationship. The day the enemy came, most of us think he came to challenge God's law. He came to challenge their faith. Because he said to Eve, did God really say? He planted a seed of doubt that challenged the very essence of their relationship with God. And that's where faith is. Faith connects us in relationship with God. Faith is the foundation and the seedbed for obeying God's word. When faith is gone, we cannot obey. And we, when, we, when we do, we just do that out of duty. But that never leads us unto salvation because Jesus says when you uh, disobey the smallest of the law, you've disobeyed the whole law. But faith comes from relationship. That's why when they ask you and say, will good people make it to heaven? There are lots of people doing good things. Some of them that even seem biblical. But without the seedbed of faith, without the seedbed of relationship with God, it is meaningless. And because eventually... It leads man, because of the condition of his heart, into deception. The same deception the Pharisees had and the elders when they felt they were obeying God, when they felt like they were doing God a service by the 638 laws. But they had gone more and more into deception. Faith takes us from a place where we trust ourselves and our righteous deeds to where we trust God to lead us into righteous deeds. You see, Hebrews 3, verse 14 to 18 says this. It says, we uh, have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. 
as has just been said, today, if you hear the voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. Who of you heard, who, who, when they heard, they rebelled? When, when they all, were they not all Moses led, were they, <laughs> were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned? whose bodies perished in the wilderness and to whom God did swear that they'll never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their disbelief. Their disbelief, their unbelief, their lack of faith caused them not to enter the promised land. It was not the disobedience of the law. It was their lack of faith in the one who instituted the law. Hebrews 4 verse 1 to 3 says this, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us, uh, being left us to enter into his rest, any of you should seem to fall short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them because it was not mixed with their faith when they heard it. When we hear God's instruction, when we hear God's word, it's got to go back to the basis of faith. It's got to go back to the faith basis of trusting that God is and is the reward of those who diligently seek him. Because our very nature, our sinful nature, hates instruction, counters instruction. So in a relationship, the little boy has got to trust that mom, dad has got the best interest for me. In the same way, we must trust that God has the best interest for us. That these things are not limiting us but they're to ensure that we get to where we need to get. You see, they heard the word, they heard the law, but it was not mixed with their faith in the one who gave the guidelines. And it became the breeding ground for rebellion. When you have laws without the basis of relationship, you breed, it's the perfect breeding ground for rebellion. How many of you enjoy seeing the police? <laughs> Raise your hand. When you enjoy seeing the police, are they doing the right thing? Yes. Are they instituting the law? Yes. Are they, say, are they reading the letter of the law and saying, oh, you don't have a triangle, or oh, your reflector is two millimeters short? <laughs> that is correct. But the basis of them doing it has got nothing to do with relationship with me. So guess what? When I see them, rebellion kicks in naturally. I want to turn before the roadblock. <laughs> I, before I begin to put my guard up. Because there is no relationship. 
Zimra can write us all the letters they want. But they don't have our best interests at heart. There's no relationship. So guess what? Perfect breeding ground for rebellion. 90% plus of our economy is now informal. No one wants to obey. Why? There's no faith in the relationship. Faith anchored in love is the basis for relationship. Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments. It's in John 14, verse 14. But it starts off from the basis of faith. John 14, 21 says this. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So faith and obedience go hand in hand. Obedience to God, God's law, not man's. James says this, faith without works is dead. He says, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. They go hand in hand. Obedience is the certain result and proof of our faith in God. The word is the seed. Faith in God or faith in God's word is the root. Obedience to his laws and statutes is the fruit. Christ is our example in this. His love for his father was evidenced by his love for his father's word and his reverent obedience to his father even unto death. In the same way, we have faith in God's word. If the seed of the word is truly in us, thank you, Pastor. If the seed of the word is truly in us, it will only produce that which is produced, which was produced in Christ. That is obedience to his father's word. That's why David, long before Christ said he loved God's word. That's why David, long before Christ says he loved God's law. Because he understood that faith in God, faith in his Lord, was evidenced by his actions and his behavior. That was towards obeying God and obeying his word. John 14, 23 says this. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Jeremiah 31, 32 to 32 says this. But before I get there, let me just say God's ultimate goal with us is to have our hearts. That's the ultimate. He wants relationship. Outside, he doesn't want robots that just obey him. 
He wants relationship. And that was there in the beginning, it's still there today. So in Jeremiah it says, It's not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of, out of the land of Egypt, which my, covenant, which my covenant they broke, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. In those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my law in their inward parts and write it, write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. So this law, when we say grace, grace, it's, it actually means a higher standard. This law is no longer written on tablets of stone. It's now written in our hearts. Because the author of it gave his only begotten son so that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This, this, the author of the law gave his son as a once-off sacrifice for the fulfillment and the requirements of the entire law which he knew that we could not fulfill and gave us a new covenant where his law is etched in our hearts. Therefore, we have a greater requirement to obey. <laughs> and I've made these mistakes. I've excused sin and I've excused not obeying God by saying, oh man, we're under grace. Thank God we're under grace. Thank God we're, we're not under the days when God smote people. Have you guys heard that? Is that the way God sees it? This dispensation, this covenant, the way God sees it is he says, I gave my only begotten son for you. He was nailed to a cross for you. I've not only given him, but I've come to live in you. I've etched myself in your heart. The requirement is greater upon us not much less. Because now he's not in a tent somewhere where we go and visit him three times a year. Now he lives in our hearts and is with us every single day. Therefore, now more than ever, we are to be lovers of his instruction, lovers of his word, lovers of his commandments, lovers of his Torah. Not because we can fulfill them in our own, but because we believe in the one who did fulfill them, Jesus Christ. And he that liveth in us now causes us to want to obey our creator. It's not in our own strength that we do this. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by the spirit that you and I have in us that we do this. You see, we don't just bust boundaries, yes, set, and use grace as a cop-out and still insist we love God. The responsibility to obey is weighty on us because he's etched his law. He's etched his word in our hearts. 
How then does God see this is the question that Pastor Tom asked. How does he see this? You see, that's the picture of the celebration center. Can you see how organized the cars are? Can you see how organized the parking is? Does that, does that picture look nice to you? Does it look peace and orderly? Does it make you settle down? That's because there are guidelines. Go back, go back, go back. That's because you cannot see them. You cannot see them. But in the heart of the celebration center are guidelines for each car to park. And as each car goes into that guideline, it forms a beautiful picture of order that David wrote about. He says, your law brings peace and order to my life. But uh, remove the guidelines and that's what you have. How many of you love going into that area? How many of you just feel at peace being in that area? How many of you just, oh man, I feel at home. I feel so safe and secure parking my car in that area. When God sees that picture, does he just delight and say, oh, bless my people, bless my people? No. You see, I've heard of a, a common argument that a husband and wife have. They say the wife is always, uh, when you're going to a place unknown, the wife is always saying, ah, you know, why don't we ask for directions? Why don't we get some instruction? Why don't, and, you know, the other one says, no, we'll get there. I know, I know how to get there. I know, I know how to get there. You know, let me tell you, if you're driving into Zimbabwe with husband and wife, those arguments would be more pronounced because the signage is bad. And there would be no peace in that car. But when you drive into a country where the road markings are clear, where the signs are clear, where the guiding's clear, the husband can confidently, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm doing. I know I'm going, don't worry, don't worry. And just look at the signs and be directed their way. And there'll be peace in that car. Where there are no guidelines, there's chaos, disorder, and lack of peace. I want to show you a video as we close. So if you can. Uh, but before we show that video, how many of you would be confident going to the doctor and getting medication without instruction? You've all said, hmm. Doctor says, hey, we're free. Grace abounds. Just take this and trust me. No instruction, no nothing. How many, how many of you say, my doctor really loves me? My doctor cares for me. 
If that is true for natural medication, what more for spiritual medication? God so loved us that he gave us boundaries, gave us instruction for our own good. But for us to just have instruction without relationship is equally dangerous. When we have instruction without relationship, without faith in the one that gives instruction, we set ourselves for deception. And I want you to see this video. Shake well before use. Don't you just wish you had a doctor he was in relationship with who you could ask what the instructions mean? God so loved us that he did give us a helper. And that's the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth so that we may know and understand his instruction, that we may be lovers of his instruction. But it all starts with faith in him. It all starts with the relationship in Him. Yes, we're coming into a season where we celebrate Christmas. But the reason is not festivity. The reason is Jesus Christ. And when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, He puts His Spirit in our hearts, etches God's law in our hearts. And that leads us to all truth. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.